Behind every business, there's a story worth knowing. Like the story of the two sisters behind the wildly popular Alice's Teacup restaurants in New York City. Our parents brought us to tea as children and brought us to all the different tea houses around town at the hotels. Wherever there was a tea house, we had tea, and our father was a huge English breakfast drinker. Or the story behind the Willy Wonka of Bushwick, Brooklyn, Daniel Sklar. Just how did the one-time financial analyst go on to open his fine and raw chocolate factory in 2012? Essentially, what happened was the artist loft that I was living in had an incredible community, and everyone was doing such creative work. And I fell deeply, deeply, deeply in love with chocolate. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. On this edition of the show, the story behind two successful New York City businesses. Both came to our attention this winter as we longed for hot drinks. Fine and Raw makes a mean hot chocolate, and Alice's Teacup has a wide variety of teas to warm the body and soul. We begin down the rabbit hole, so to speak, at the flagship location of Alice's Teacup on Manhattan's Upper West Side. My name is Haley Fox, and I'm one of the owners of Alice's Teacup. My name is Lauren Fox, and I'm also one of the owners of Alice's Teacup, and I'm Haley Fox's sister. I was going to say, with Fox as the same last name, I'm sure there was a relation, so you two are sisters. No coincidence. No coincidence. How did you come to develop Alice's Teacup? Well, uh, it's kind of a long story. Our parents brought us to tea as children and brought us to all the different tea houses around town at the hotels. Wherever there was a tea house, we had tea, and our father was a huge English breakfast drinker all day long. And uh, we, we grew up, and we ended up both living in Los Angeles for a while, and we used to meet at this tea house called Chato. And the owner of the tea house uh, became very friendly with us because we were there so often. It was kind of our weekly sister meeting. And we said to her, God, you should open one in New York. It would be so big in New York. And she goes, oh, no, you guys should. And we laughed. Uh, yeah, and um, we uh, we found out, actually, that her, her husband, her family, owned fields in Sri Lanka and India, and, and, um, and they are wholesale tea distributors. Um, so we we kind of ran with it, jokingly, actually, for a while. We would talk to each other about, you know, when we're older and maybe retired, we'll open up a tea house, and this is what it'll look like. And, this, and we wanted it to be a little turned on its ear, and that's where the Alice's Adventures in Wonderland references. We kept referring to it somehow. And, um, and then we both found ourselves in New York, back in New York at the same time. And I don't know, we, we dreamt it, and it came true, so... And we're yeah. talking about Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, not Disney's. Right. Yes. That's why I said Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, because people always like to say Alice in Wonderland, but that's yeah. the movie. And so. we, we were very we were, we were adamant about no Disney Alice, no Disney Alice. <laughs> we did not want that. We didn't, we didn't want that. We didn't want it to be childish. We wanted it to be child-friendly, but embrace kind of the, the child in every adult, too. So, uh, and, 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 yeah, and make it a little sexy. So we did. (laughs) That being said, why don't you describe the ambiance here? Uh, Well, first and foremost, it's a little bit quirky. Um, We wanted to make sure it appealed to every gender, every age. Um, Like Lauren said, the child in all of us, and I think that's the perfect way of putting it. The um, whimsical, you know, it's, it's, it's got a kind of kooky little whimsical vibe to it. We, instead of um, coming up with an image, 
like for our logo, we decided to come up with a person, like a character of Alice's, who was a little more adult, a little uh, uh, couldn't you couldn't really figure out where she was from. We didn't want the bl- multi ethnic. Mm-hmm. We didn't want like the blonde, blue eyed textbook Alice. Uh, and she's a little, you know, she's. I don't know. She looks like she's probably yeah. 20. 20 something. Um, and um, so it's kind of grown up Alice in New York. There are these great photographs yeah. on the walls here, and Alice is having a wonderful tea, tea party. party. <laughs> well, that, the idea, the, I'm actually the, the girl on the right. Um, but uh, it's, uh, the idea was adults pretending to be children who got into their parents' dress clothing. And closet and decided yeah. to throw a tea party. So it's like adults playing children playing adults. Playing adults. Yeah. And, yeah. and the round, you know, we have those photographs. Um, we we directed this 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 afternoon tea, um, and we also had we took our Alice to the Alice uh, statue in the park, and we took some photos there with the Mad Hatter and the Dormouse and. We have a lot of um, antique furniture, um, oversized pieces, small pieces. Um, nothing quite matches, including our china, which is which is china. Uh, and we we make sure it feels whimsical. And and uh, you know we we went to estate sales to buy frames that are all a little bit broken somewhere and sconces that may have cracks in them. Yeah. We keep it that way. Now this is one of three locations in New York City. It is. Uh, this is the first one. This is our flagship on West 73rd. We also have one uh, on 64th, just east of Lexington Avenue. And then we have another one on 81st between 2nd and 3rd. And they're all very different. They all, the the, the spaces, the design, it, the theme is still, there's a commonality between them, but the, the spaces made us have to kind of look at it and design a little bit differently. And uh, so the one on East 64th Street is two-story townhouse. So it's more like a parlor. A and Victorian. Yeah, it's a little Victorian. It just it's was. Like a par- so you yeah. went with it, you know? Yeah. And um, the one on uh, East 81st Street is cozier and and I think it's even funkier. It's it an has old, a it actually was an old carriage house. Yeah. And um, we connected the back carriage house with the front space um, with a walkway. And uh, it's... It's really funky. Yeah, and there's yeah. like a giant mural on the wall that looks like you're, it looks like a hallway that you have to, that gets smaller and smaller that you could walk mm-hmm. into. A little bit of Escher in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it difficult to find these places? Sounds pretty magical. They found That's us. Funny. Yeah, we really, everything we've done has yeah. been, uh, it, it seems like it was meant to be, honestly. Even from the beginning when we found ourselves back in New York was, was very happenstance in and of itself, honestly. Yeah. And then and then to walk past this for red sign on 73rd Street, this is our neighborhood. We grew up in New York City on the Upper West Side. Yeah. We are diehard New Yorkers. Diehard Upper West Siders. Diehard Upper West Siders. <laughs> Um, and so protective of, of this neighborhood and, and its development and the community, which it really is up here. And when we walked past the for rent sign, it just looked like it was the front. So it looked like a, maybe a 300-square-foot spot. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we said, uh, let's try it. Let's, let's see. Uh, and we kind of acted as if we could for a while and wrote business plan and met with some people about it. And we, then we found out it was 1,100 square feet and that it went yeah. all the way to the back and it wasn't, exactly. um, it didn't have a kitchen. We had to. It was a laser hair removal place and it had all these little <laughs> small private rooms and we had to knock all the walls down. Which we did. Which we did. We just, 
We, we, we said to our contractor, okay, so which walls can be knocked down? We'd go, like, no, okay, knock down that wall. He's like, that's a bearing wall. You can't knock that wall. <laughs> so we, we just we let the space speak for itself. You know, what, whatever, we, whatever we could knock, we did. And then, and and then, then we worked from there. We, we, were, we were instantly successful, which, I mean, you know, no one can, can, can be more grateful for. How did you manage that? How did you manage that instant success? Because I know when you opened, you had a line out the door well, on day yes. one. We did. Um, we we had a, we, a friend of ours who was a publicist actually started uh, putting out feelers for us with different papers, and, and she got in touch with Florence Fabricant, who said, I want to come see the place and from we the New York Times. We were in construction, and we were like, no, 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 we're not ready, we're not ready. And she said, I just want to come see it. And so we had this store, the shop set up, and we had all these really kooky, like, tea cozies from Pakistan, and they were hand-sewn hand, uh, and really cool stuff, like the shape of elephants and very, very strange stuff. And so um, she came in, and she flipped out, and we were the f- cover page, an ent- the entire top half of the cover page of the metro section, in color, on, on a Wednesday, on the Wednesday wow. we opened, and so there was a line yeah. down the block. And you have to understand too that we we had our our friends were our staff. Yeah. We had friends working for us. We had not we expected to open and sort of feel it out for a couple of days, not even keep the hours we were intending to keep, and just sort of see how it went, how many people we needed on. And yeah. We opened. So what year was this? Never, what year was this? This was um, 2000 and 2000, right 2001. Right after. So pre social media too. It was, it was two months, two months, two after, months after 9/11, 9/11. and then I think that that con, you know contributed. People really, really wanted um, a, a haven, and yeah. it was. And it, you know, walking down the stairs, these three stairs, we were told many, many times that it was necessary for people of this city to feel like they had a place that they could that down the rabbit hole, that kind of escape, and um, intentionally and otherwise, we yeah. provided it. And you know, we were we were lucky, but also we we went with what we would want. And how we wanted to feel, and I think that that's yeah. that really worked. Yeah, absolutely. That said, what is it about tea that it's comforting? Well, the warmth, of course, um, certainly in the winter months, um, but I think even in the summer months, there's something about tea that brings people together. Uh, coffee does too, but tea it feels more like a celebration, and you keep having it. There, it's tradi- there's a tradition about it. There's the making of it is is really a tradition. It's really it's a ceremony. Yeah. And and uh, it has a lot of history in that, so uh, there is something. It's, it, it it feels very communal. Well, they call it taking and, tea, you yeah. know. So it is. It's an experience. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, you know what we love. And it's serious. So, it's not as you know. It's not like coffee where you, you know you you pour water in and you you know. I mean, it is in the sense that if you have to grind the beans if you're really into yeah, it. If you're a, a barista, a true barista. But there are a lot of tea rules. Such as what. Uh, the temperature, um, the uh, the me- the amount of tea you put in, the amount of steep time, because if you steep tea too long, it becomes bitter. So black teas, I should say, um, those things mainly have a lot to do with the tea experience and, and how your tea tastes. And we are all of the all of those things. Take it very seriously. We yeah. we make sure that those happen in the back. Where people get their tea. <laughs> Which means you have to wait for your pot of tea often, yeah. but it's proper. It's the way it's supposed to be. How many varieties do you have here? At the moment, about 120. 
Yeah. And where do your teas come from? All over the world, really. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, Sri Lanka, uh, Japan, China. Uh, England. Also, England, we have some English England, teas as well. Um, I mean, they just come from all over the world. We really. only use two distributors, um, and one, uh, our main one is is that family that yeah. we, we met in um, Los Angeles back then, and we're very close to. Um, and they're wonderful suppliers, and they're wonderful people to work with. They blend for us. We make our own blends, yeah. and they, they blend for us when we give them the ingredients. And, yeah, I think we, we had uh, – we, the most we've had is 140, and we, we curate it, but not too often. So when you're faced with that many choices, mm-hmm. how do you decide which tea to go with? From the customer's perspective, um, our server will say, well, do you want caffeine or not? That's, that's always the first question yeah. because we have plenty of tisans, um, and we also have rooibos, which is a red leaf. Uh, that's the translation, and it's just an herb. Um, so those aren't teas. But we have um, green tea and white tea and black tea, and then we have flavored and blends and non-blends and, and a bunch of different kinds of chais. Um, and so the first question is always, caffeinated or not? And then do you like strong or light? Or you're more of a fruity person, a fragrance uh, person, and an enthusiast. So it's a little like wine in that way. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm pretty straightforward. I like my, my traditional black teas. Um, I like to put milk in my tea. And so you, you have to kind of work with what the person is looking for. And maybe later in the day, I'm a chamomile drinker, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah. Well, that said, if it's like wine, we often pair wine with food. Do we pair tea with food? Sometimes. Um, it depends. It, it really depends. I, I, don't, I don't think that much about... I mean, I wouldn't do a dessert tea with a, with a savory lunch. Uh, necessarily, but you know, if you're, high, but I do tend, I do tend to pair certain teas, I guess, with uh, like dessert teas go with dessert, and 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 I, for personally, I think black, you know, a good straight, either straight or black tea or black tea blend goes better with savory or a green or a white, but a less flavored. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. you, you don't want all that fla- to me. I don't want all that flavor with my food. Yeah. If you're having a, we yeah. make a, we make a mean hamburger on the east side. We can't, we don't have the room here to do it. As we developed, and we could talk more about that if you want to know about the other locations. Yeah. But, um, we make a great hamburger, but you know, we if anyone were to ask us our recommendation, we go with a lighter tea, something Actually, not as no, flavorful. I go with lapsang. That's funny. <laughs> I'd go with a lighter tea. She'd go with lapsang. Well, lapsang's a smoky black tea, yeah. and I think with a hamburger, it'd be pretty. That good. is, it does sound very good. It's a strong flavor though so it's it's like having two very uh strong flavored um, yeah. items but yeah it it really doesn't matter so no. much it, it's not like wine i don't think in that way um but in terms of your own way of picking and choosing and your own yeah. desires it is yeah uh, you know my, my only point was like you wouldn't go with like a you know a strong berry flavored black no. tea <laughs> with a hamburger right or, right no, you know. no berries, really. No. I often think of tea with scones, and you have yeah. scones. Well, we're very, um, we're very fortunate to be known for our scones. It's it's really terrific. Uh, we d- we do something a little different than most places that do scones because we found, in our experience, that scones were a bit like hockey pucks. Sometimes <laughs> they were just so hard and dense and heavy and. So we wanted to do something different, and I had been experimenting with a recipe, and that 
and it, that became the recipe here. It was uh, we had a baker that experimented further and, and made it puffier and fluffier and perfect <laughs> and really perfect. <laughs> but it came from my recipe. And the difference is, instead of using egg in the the batter, we use buttermilk. So they and come out a lot lighter. It. Yeah, it's with, yeah, but that's with all scones. Yeah, but um. But if you're baking them properly. <laughs> if you're baking them properly. But um, we don't use any egg, so it, it doesn't have that heavy consistency. The buttermilk gives it a much lighter consistency. And we sell oh, a lot of scones, a lot of scones. It's and then, you know, we've been here for 15 years now. Um, in that time, we've gone from uh, the, the traditional berry scone and buttermilk scone, and now our most our most popular is actually our pumpkin with caramel glaze scone, yep. uh, which we cannot go a day without. We tried to once, and, and you know, it was rioting. It was a revolt. Um, but it is, uh, it's not seasonal. It's, it's a little bit spicy, tiny bit spicy, but it has sweet on top. It's, it's really um, more a little muffiny scone, uh, and, and it, we now have uh, different chocolate ones. We, so every day you'll have a fruit one, a, a, something that's a little bit on the sweet side, the pumpkin one, a buttermilk, and then yeah. we have a vegan. And the vegan is sensational. Amazing. Yeah, it really is. It, it's a... Uh, I can't believe how good the vegan yeah. ones turned out. Yeah, we can't. I mean, I, I defy people to tell me it's vegan. You know? Yeah. It's like a little uh, blindfold taste test, you know? Yeah, yeah. Shall we place an order? Yeah, let's do that. Hello. And this is Stephanie. <laughs> Did y'all want to do some teas or put any scones in? Yes. I'm going with your recommendation, so I'm <laughs> going to allow the experts to order. Or you like some caffeine? Caffeine is always good for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. Do you really? like a, a do you like a darker tea, a heavy like a, a really strong tea, black tea? Do you or do you like a lighter flavor? I like a lighter flavor. I think yeah. Okay. Lighter flavor, flavored or not flavored? Flavored. Yeah. Flavored. Hmm. Yeah, but that's not a lighter flavor. That's oh, my Alice's really? tea. Alice's tea. Give them our yes, give them our blend. Yeah, yeah. it's right, good. Cool. It's a good blend of both. You'll love it. The, the Mauritius, the one she was recommending, is actually my favorite tea. It's so and it's uh, Haley yeah. and Lauren Fox are it's sisters not. and the owners <laughs> of the popular Alice's Teacup restaurants in New York City. Next on Cityscape, how a one-time financial analyst became the Willy Wonka of Bushwick, Brooklyn. Let's go behind the scenes of the Fine and Raw Chocolate Factory. Hi, my name is Ryan Mead. I'm Operations Director for Fine and Raw Chocolate. Hi, my name is Daniel Sklar, and this is the Fine and Raw Chocolate Factory. So how did Fine and Raw come about? Who's the brainchild here? Oh, I started Fine and Raw eight years ago in my loft in Williamsburg. In your loft in Williamsburg? Yes, yeah. It was uh, When the project started, it was very underground. And uh, I was making chocolate with a bunch of friends, uh, chef friends. And then um, essentially what happened was the, the, the artist loft that I was living in had an incredible community and everyone was doing such creative work and and I felt deeply, deeply, deeply in love with chocolate and uh, the Fine and Raw project was born out of out of that time So do you have a background in the culinary arts? I was a, a chef for a minute before and before that I was a financial analyst. <laughs> and Ryan, when did you get involved? I got involved... Four and a half years ago, uh, I had been working elsewhere at the time doing operations for 
an organic grocer, wine shop, and restaurant, and we had actually been selling fine and raw. And when I moved on from there, I was looking for a really creative project that was a little different and somewhere where I could sink my teeth in from the ground up. And sink your teeth, no pun intended, yeah. Yeah. huh? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I definitely wanted to eat. Um, no. <laughs> and um, I was living in Bushwick, and I had heard that Daniel was going to be opening a factory, a chocolate factory in Bushwick, and I just thought that was a really unique, pretty amazing sounding project. So I came and interviewed, apparently at the last minute, I was like one of the last contenders. And anyway, I met Daniel and it just immediately clicked and it felt like we could work well together because he has an ability to mix the creative with business. Um, yeah, and we kind of just speak the same language and been here ever since and it's awesome. So have people called you the Willy Wonka of Bushwick? Oh, Definitely. yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, I didn't think I was the first. Yeah. Kind of, he's a little Gene Wilder-esque. Yeah. He looks Gene Wilder. My hair's a little shorter, but basically, yeah. We're, yeah, we're, we were separated at birth, and then, oh, of course, there's the, the, the time lapse, but when you're Willy Wonka, you can, you can go backwards and you can time travel as well. It's one of the perks. So how did it grow from your loft to this factory? You know, it grew out of, uh, it, from, from the loft to this factory, through through a process of adventure, curiosity, um, dance parties, experimentation, lots of creativity, having an open mind and open heart, uh, uh, working with incredible people, um, uh, pounding the pavement. Uh, I mean, the the mix of elements and the chemistry that that created this are, are, are I mean, really, um, a lot of it is magic and and. And then a lot of it's hard work. What do, what do they say? 90% perspiration, 10% inspiration. Now, Ryan, I understand your mission is to change the world through <laughs> laughter and chocolate. Yeah, silliness and chocolate. I think that was what we said at one point. Yeah. I'd say that's pretty accurate. The idea is, I mean, sometimes we say we take our work really seriously, but not ourselves. Um, I guess that's one way to say it, but... Yeah, the company's just really creatively driven. The people that we find to work here, we're really lucky uh, in that regard. Everyone in their own right is, you know, an artist of their own making. And so, uh, but they're able to come to work, clock in and work really, really hard and make something really amazing. This chocolate really is the best chocolate you can find. Yeah, let's talk about the chocolate. First of all, where do you get your ingredients? Right now, we're sourcing beans from... Uh, Nicaragua and Uganda mainly we get beans from all over the world uh, we've used Madagascar Peru um, we've made chocolate with beans from Mexico uh, really it's it's exploration yeah uh, I go down to the farms in Central America every now and again I check them out and um, and then the other ingredients we use are, also, are very carefully sourced yeah. um, we found an amazing hazelnut in uh, in Oregon. Um, you, you cannot find a hazelnut like this anywhere. It's, it's, uh, I mean, when you eat this hazelnut, it's like eating an heirloom tomato in summer. Like, juice is just flowing down uh, as opposed to, you know, like all the other hazelnuts, which, which would be like going in the middle of winter to your bodega and getting a tomato. When you make chocolate, it's cocoa beans and sugar, generally. We don't use any refined sugar, so we use coconut sugar or agave. And uh, 
that means most of our ingredients are exotic and come from abroad. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we're we're very local centric, you know. So if there's a chance to 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 do something locally or work with a local business or a local food business, we 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 do that. Ryan, what's your favorite flavor? Mm, it rotates. My first favorite when I started was raspberry. And right now it's the mesquite bar. It's our only sugarless bar, actually. It's sweetened with lacuma powder. And there's just something about that that I love. So I think those are my two right now. How many flavors are there? What are we, what are we at? We're like? at 24, 25. Yeah. Because we're doing, we're expanding. So we started... Daniel started with the signature collection of chocolates, which is a raw chocolate line, and it's com- comprised of chocolate bars and chunkies, which are just essentially large truffles or confections. And then we made a second line of chocolates that launched a couple of years ago called the Brooklyn Bonnie Collection, and those are a series of bars that are half raw, half roasted. And most recently, we launched two spreads. Um, one is a chocolate hazelnut butter, so think Nutella, but but we made it. <laughs> and another is a coconut dulce de leche sauce. I think Nutella, but 10 times better. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to get in yeah. trouble, but it's <laughs> honestly, I mean, if you, it, yeah, it's, it's really like an amazing product. And anyway, so, and we're always developing new stuff, uh, especially once he actually got to open the factory, really was an excuse to play around with flavor development and chocolate development. And we're really only like hitting the tip of the iceberg, we feel like. Yeah, we do seasonal truffle flavors. So, yeah. so uh, you know, this year we have cardamom coffee and um, uh, hibiscus and uh, orange. We have a small and all these different truffle flavors, and then next season they'll change. So it sounds like a lot of experimentation goes yes. on here. Constantly, yeah. And in-house, we um, you can only get it in-house. We make hot chocolates, the world's best hot chocolates. And uh, we have a really great shake program in the summertime. Uh, we've, we've been known to throw an occasional waffle party. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah. Notorious waffle party. Yeah. Uh-huh. Notorious. Yeah. The, the baddest waffle joint in town. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the hot chocolate. It's one thing to eat chocolate, another thing to drink chocolate. What oh. makes yours so good? Yeah, drinking chocolates. I recommend it. Our two, our two stars in the winter are, we have this thing called a chocolate shot, which is a 70% dark chocolate blend that we make in-house, and we melt it down, and you just essentially take a shot of it it's so rich it's so good beware clear your day once you drink it and then we our hot chocolate's just amazing yeah. <laughs> um yeah our hot chocolate's that mixed with some steamed milk and some magic and we have a bunch of different flavors that we'll do and it's really honestly just so heartwarming and delicious and seems to get a good response yeah how much chocolate are you putting out here typically we're, we're doing about one to two tons a month Exactly. And how many people do you have employed? It's 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 variable. It's about say twelve to twenty in our high. Mm-hmm. Chocolate is fairly seasonal, so you know we're busier during the holiday season, which for us goes from like November to March. So we're just wrapping up a lot of stuff. But because we have all these different products, we actually are able to have longevity uh, throughout the rest of the year. But we do have. A, couple like a bit fewer amount of people in the summer months let's talk about the packaging 
because your packaging is quite unique. Yeah, that really speaks to what Daniel is talking about, uh, kind of just the origins of the company, kind of coming from he and his friends collaborating. I feel lucky because I've gotten to meet all these people that he started the company around, and they continue to circle in. And I don't know, just living like being located in a place like Bushwick, we're constantly meeting artists and makers and creators and every day really is a new conversation about a new collaboration but the rappers themselves come from yeah mostly local artists so i i art direct everything and then bring in different artists from around the area yeah yeah there is say half a dozen artists who who've helped us along the way and then as as we do more projects we, we we collaborate with other artists I parked around the corner, and all I had to do was follow my nose to find you. <laughs> That's like amazing. Yeah, that, that makes me happy. We're, we're trying to get a three-block radius aroma <laughs> here, so so we've covered one block in a chocolate smell. It's um, I actually think that New York City should should give us some sort of grant or benefit for beautification of the of the city's aroma. Ryan, Daniel, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks thank for coming you very by. Much, yeah. It's really nice to have you. That was Daniel Sklar and Ryan Mead of the Fine and Raw Chocolate Factory in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. You know, some people still don't get podcasts, what's out there and how to listen. You can help change that with a click. Right now, think of someone you care about. What podcast would they really love? Got it? Now do it. Tell them about it in real life or on social media. And if they don't know about podcasts, show them how. Tell us what you recommend with the hashtag TryPod, that's T-R-Y pod, and thanks for spreading the word. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to Cityscape producers Claire Drake and Zach Zalas.